You're listening to Inspirational Decency, episode 1248, Emergency Carpet. Now look, you know me. I've never been one to brag. I'm not a braggart, nor have I ever participated in the brag arts. Really? No one laughed at that? (sighs) Whatever. Anyway, I'm not someone who's constantly promoting himself, or patting himself on the back, or rubbing himself on the nose. I don't think I'm any better than anyone else. I don't have a big head, or a swollen tongue, or a baby's leg growing from my armpit. I don't put on airs, or cologne, or deodorant. In fact, for the most part, I'd say I'm a fairly modest guy. Self-deprecating. Self-effacing. Self-abrasive. But hey, come on now. There comes a time when you've got to set aside all that modesty and say, you know what? I am good at what I do. One of the best, even. Because let's face it, when it comes to the way I do what I do, no one has ever had any complaints. I am widely recognized as one of the absolute leaders in my particular activity. You should hear some of the comments I've heard from people about the tasks I perform. John Munson from down the street loves what I do with a foot of barbed wire and the Mexican Link Ray impersonator. My Aunt Margaret, meanwhile, was very impressed that I'm able to move as quickly as I do when I have fake blood up to my knees. Fake blood. Little does she know. And then there's former Governor General Adrian Clarkson, who wrote me just last week to inform me that she greatly appreciates the way I raise awareness of Asian-Canadian issues with that dance I do with that mohawked porcupine and that picture of Slim Pickens. Plus, there's little eight-year-old Timmy O'Nolahan, who sent me a very charming drawing of himself reenacting that thing I do with eight pounds of whipped cream, an asthma inhaler, and an asthma exhaler, by which I refer to a person with asthma who breathes into your mouth. Truly, Canada's future is blindingly bright. Now, with all of this praise coming my way, I've had a lot of people ask me, Darren, have you thought about actually becoming a professional in your chosen field? A natural question to ask, of course, given my considerable skill and expertise. Yet shockingly enough, my answer would be no. The reason? There are too many regulations that come into play when you turn pro. Like, for instance, you can't use a suntan lotion with a higher SPF than 60 in the lotion-motor-oil mixture you shoot into the eyes of unsuspecting junior high schoolers. Come on! Talk about squelching creativity! You also have to wait more than 90 days to create an assault rifle out of frozen margarine, which would be a disastrous development for my oily little truant officer routine. I swear... You'd think that these rules were devised by people who've never thrown tanks of nitroglycerin into giant vats of dolphin discharge. Nope, no thanks. I can't be hemmed in by such restrictions. I am much more liable to take my ball and go home. You've seen my ball, right? The one covered in pastel paint and acne fluid? Anyway, given how good I am at the thing it is that I do, 
it will surely not surprise you that I have decided to take it to the next level. In the coming months, the things I have planned will put hair on your head. I'm sorry, I meant for that to sound more impressive than it did. Anyway, I'm afraid I can't get into specifics right now, but I can give you a list of just a few of the things that will be making an appearance. Eight pairs of corn shuckers, an extremely loud and unsettling contraption called the Austrian Assistant, eight tubes of something called glue floss, eight episodes of the popular reality competition show, oh no, 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 don't dance, a morning radio DJ who constantly has to be convinced of the fact that he is not on fire, the world's shortest basketball player who happens to be a three-year-old child named Oftermar, and 84 slap rifles, meant to replicate the sensation of being lightly yet firmly struck with an open palm. If your curiosity is piqued, meet me at the top of Fife Mountain tomorrow as the crow flies. Be sure to bring your pith helmets and dental records for reasons that will become obvious. Thank you. Now let's begin the show. And now, a few selections from Regibald Eddie Tipp's classic book, A Guide to the Actor's Activity. Page 3. People have asked me, what is the actor's goal? There are many answers to this question. My personal favorite is, to win a free pizza. Page 47. An actor must act as the infant cries, loudly and often while lying inside of a crib. Page 52. When acting, imagine that you are your character's dentist. Are you drilling? Is this a routine cleaning? Answer me. Page 86. When portraying Hamlet, ask yourself, how would Hamlet look with a mustache? Think of the many mustaches you have seen in your life. Did your father have a mustache? Did you know your father? Use this as a sense memory while I go grab a fresca. These have been a few selections from Regibald Eddie Tipp's classic book, A Guide to the Actor's Activity. You're listening to Inspirational Decency and this is Darren's DVD Enclave. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Darren's DVD Enclave. On April 26th, the Criterion Collection is bringing to DVD, for the first time ever, Everett Shankbug Jixon's 1972 cult classic, Gravel and Gravy. Made in the small town of Mudsmere, Texas, on a budget of $50, and with camera equipment stolen from the shoot for a cattle auctioneer training video, the film fits the same mold of 70s American minimalist cinema as Monte Hellman's Tulane Blacktop and Eagle Pennell's The Whole Shootin' Party. Chickson's film is distinguished, however, by its sheer lack of plot, action, dialogue, and even movement. 
The entire film is set inside a pool hall, in which the inhabitants simply smoke, drink coffee, and eat french fries, all without speaking to, or even looking at, each other. One of the film's high points comes halfway through its running time, when a dog can be seen walking past the restaurant window in the background. Film scholars have made much of the fact that the dog is a golden retriever, mainly because there is nothing else in the film to make much of. Upon its initial theatrical release, the film played on only one screen, that being a large bedsheet strung across the wall of Jixon's own kitchen to an audience of Jixon, his unemployed neighbor, and a traveling salesman who happened to knock on Jixon's door just before the movie began, and who stayed to the end in the hopes that Jixon would repay him by buying a set of sponges. Reactions to the film at this initial screening were somewhat mixed, with Jixon calling it a rare artistic triumph, his neighbor calling it okay, I guess, and the traveling salesman insisting on talking about sponges. A few years later, Jixon made a tape of the film, which circulated among film fans throughout the state of Texas, mainly because none of them wanted to keep it. The film gradually amassed a cult following across North America as a midnight film. Fans would attend screenings of the movie, dressed as whatever they were wearing that day, and often recited their favorite lines, including ahem and ahem. Eventually, some of America's finest filmmakers, including Martin Scorsese, Errol Morris, and Meryl Streep, went on record as having heard of the film, without mentioning whether or not they had seen or enjoyed it. Jixon, meanwhile, never made another movie, choosing instead to pursue a successful career, busting unions among carnival workers, and fighting for the maintenance and preservation of famous murder sites. He is currently the filmmaker-in-residence at the West Amarillo Junior High School, which, even after an extensive Google search, cannot be confirmed to be an actual institution. The Criterion Collection edition of the film, in addition to featuring an unusually high-quality transfer, also contains commentary tracks from noted film scholars David Thompson, Jonathan Rosenbaum, and Stanley Cavell, all three of whom spend the film's entire running time making comments such as, I wonder what the point of this is, I still haven't seen Battleship Potemkin, isn't that crazy, and have I really only been watching this for three quarters of an hour? Let me check the running time. 197 minutes? Jixon himself also provides a director's commentary, noting that the original draft of his screenplay contained two additional lines, those ain't biscuits, they're taters, and those ain't taters, they're biscuits. Jixon, who was clearly inebriated throughout the recording of said commentary, also forgets on occasion that he is watching a movie and mistakes what he is seeing for real life, attempting at various points to order a grilled cheese sandwich from his film's characters. As for whether or not gravel and gravy still holds up after almost 40 years, the answer I would give is, what does it mean to hold up? Does it refer to the notion that a work of art, even after the march of years and inexorable cultural shifts that change our conception of what art can do, can still remain relevant, engaging, entertaining, thought-provoking? If that is indeed the definition of holding up we are working with, the answer is no. It doesn't hold up. It is a movie where a few people sit in a diner for three hours and don't do anything. But ultimately, in its insistence on stripping the cinema down to its bare essentials, Jixon's movie is extremely long. Until next time, this has been Darren's DVD Enclave.
And now, a few selections from Regibald Eddie Tips' classic book, A Guide to the Actor's Activity. Page 93. When acting, one is never reacting, but one is almost always drooling. Page 118. Someone once said, Acting is the most winding highway to the truth. Didn't they? Maybe they didn't. Maybe I said it. But what does it mean? Does it have something to do with Applebee's commercials? Page 289. Finally, the actor must know that... Ooh, my pizza's arrived. Papa John's, you are the assassin that shall blow out my hunger's brains. These have been a few selections from Regibald Eddie Tipp's classic book, A Guide to the Actor's Activity. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, gooses and ganders, you have got yourself stuck inside of another episode of inspirational decency. Like a bear caught in a mountain trap, set by a man who only wants to love him, but doesn't know how to show it. You can't give a bouquet to a bear. That bear is going to, I don't know, laugh in your face, probably. Uh, so of course, you're going to, uh, show it love the only way you know how. By ensnaring it and claiming it as yours. And, uh, that is what I have done with you out there in Radio Land. I have, uh, set a trap for you. A spring-loaded trap that has been set with a fine variety of cheeses and uh, several boxes of Ritz crackers and vanilla wafers. I almost said vanilla wafers, and then I realized I'm not a monster. But yes, you found yourself sucked in from the first second of this program. And now... It's, uh, it's too late. Well, actually, it's not too late, because the the episode's over. So, um, in a sense, I guess it's right on time. You, uh, are about to be freed in a a matter of uh, minutes. A a matter of minutes. Sorry, I'm just very nervous. I I have a crush on 800 of you listening out there, so... I'm very, very self-conscious. Uh, I hope you don't think I'm lame. I really like. I really hope you like the uh, bow tie that I have affixed to my forehead. It is a splendid package for you to unwrap. My brain is the brain inside of that forehead. Oh, how I wish you could trip hand me, cutting open my head and viewing the greenish engorged brain that pulses inside of it thinking thoughts only of chocolate bear jamboroos and leather jacketed 
Ivy League janitors. My favorite kind of janitors. I'll take them every time. In any case, I have no idea what I started talking on about. Oh, yeah, oh, yes, that's right. I started talking about ensnaring you in my trap. And uh, now you are about to be released. I have uh, held you down and entertained you with, uh, let's see. I uh, had a sketch about uh, vaudeville. Um, it was like, uh, what if Ashton Kutcher did vaudeville? We had fun with that, right? Um, turns out he, he'd be punking people, but in the vaudeville days, um, which I guess just involved going out into the audience and um, you know making them think they'd won a million dollars. Actually, I guess he'd be punking celebrities in the 20s, would be like, Al Jolson, you just caused that house to blow up. Oh, mammy, he'd say. I'm in a real pickle. What am I gonna do? Actually, Al Jolson, I've heard, was a huge jerk. Uh, that's not a joke. I've literally heard that Al Jolson was a terrible human being. So he might have just made sport uh, over the notion of blowing up a house. Even with people inside of it. In any case, I have completely derailed myself again. So with that in mind, I'm just going to wish you all pleasant slumbers and uh, vanilla wafer-filled bar mitzvahs. With that, good night. Mazel tov, I, I suppose. Um, or is it vanilla tov? Ah, forget it. I was going to in inject the Nilla wafer into the Mazel Tov, but uh, on that note of squalid failure, I wish you all good night, you squalid little failures. <laughs> <laughs>